0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I want to talk to you today about what I've called the conditional love of God. Um, and, and I think just hearing those words might mess a little bit with your BS. Um, that is your belief systems. Um, and, uh, but don't worry, you'll get it by the time we're yeah. all done here. Um, you know, my wife has some specific things that she likes and things that um, she dislikes, as does anybody else in this room. But more specifically, um, she has things that I can do or not do that would communicate love to her. And, um, you know, perhaps you're familiar with the five. Love Languages, uh, written about by Gary Chapman, where he talks about your words, touch, acts of service, gifts, and quality time, those being the five. Well, my wife, uh, what communicates love to her is acts of service and quality time. Those are, those are the biggies. So, uh, you know, me, uh, if I'm the last one out of bed in the morning, making the bed every morning you know that's pretty much like a dozen roses right there and uh which is great because a dozen roses is a lot more money and so i'm i'm happy to go with that um but you know talking to her without looking at my phone um another biggie that's uh communicates love but the opposite can actually um be negative as well like Forgetting to make my bed, man, I'm, I'm going to hear about that. If I, if I you know, last one up and you didn't make the bed and you came down and had a cup of coffee, woe is you. You left dishes on the counter. You didn't clean your garage like you said you would. You left laundry on the floor. You get the idea. The failure to provide the expected acts of service, in her mind, is a failure to show love. Answering a text while listening to her. Wow, big no-no. Checking out Facebook. Well, in a conversation is pretty much eternal damnation. <laughs> Jesus cannot even help me. I am, I am lost forever. But here's the deal. I don't get to tell her what communicates love. She decides that. But if I don't follow her expectations, then I'm also failing to show love because the one receiving it gets to determine what it should look like. That's how this works, Okay. Having that in mind, let's go on to John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I want to pull in on this part where he says, Peter was grieved. In other words, as Bible speak for Peter rolled his eyes like, oh, brother, here we go again. Same question, third time in a row. I can't believe it. But why was Peter upset with this? Why, Why was that? so bothering towards him, I think it's because when it comes to love that a lot of times we just feel like if we say it, we've already done it. We've communicated it. That's all that's necessary. I mean, we do that all the time. We do that in so many ways. Uh, we do that with our relationships with people. You know, people will casually say, hey, love you, bro. You know, love you, sis. What, whatever, we'll just throw that out. Um, we'll do that with material objects. And, oh, man, I love my car. You know, I I love my new shoes. I love your dress. I love the color of your dress, whatever it may be. We do that with experiences. Oh, I loved that movie. So good. I, I love that concert. I love that trip that we went on. We'll say that about our favorite food. Oh, I love me some chicken or whatever it may be. You know what I'm saying? We just, I love restaurants. I love tourist attractions. We just use that word so liberally to express how we feel towards things. And we think once we've said it, that's it. That should be done. And I'm sure that Peter thought, Jesus, I already told you like twice, why do we need to go here again? But as we can see in this interaction with Jesus, Jesus is making it clear to Peter that if he loves him, he's gonna show it by what he does. Jesus expects this love to be conditional. That is shown by action, love in action, that it's not passive, but there's actually action that should be taken that is demonstrating that there's love. Now around the church world over the past number of decades, we have talked about, and you may have heard this phrase, matter of fact, I might've even used it, the unconditional love of God. You may have heard that before. And uh, we explain it by saying, you know, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We actually sing about that. Uh, You can't convince God to love you. He loves you just as much today uh, as he will ever love you. And uh, it just, he loves you the way you are, but he also loves what he can do with you. All the rest of it, the unconditional love of God. We've heard that. And there's truth to everything I just said. This is true. You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. But that doesn't mean that his love is without conditions or expectations. John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's a familiar scripture, but I want to slow down on it a little bit. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Well, we could stop there. Full sentence, full stop. God loves the world, everybody. Could have been in the scripture, just written as clearly as that, could have left it like that, but that's not how it goes, does it? Instead, There's a word there, the word that. The word that is the transition now telling us, uh, you know, what that love has done for us. Now telling us how God has demonstrated and proven that he loves the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's telling us about how God demonstrated how God put that love in action. We know God loved the world by the tremendous sacrifice that was paid for our sins to redeem us, uh, you know, out of a life separated from God into a relationship with God. Romans complements this verse in Romans 5, 8, when it says this, but God demonstrated his own love towards us. He didn't just say it, he demonstrated it in that while we were sinners, that is, while we were undeserving, while we were far from God, while we were doing our own thing, living life the way we felt we should, Christ died for us. God doesn't just love you because he says so. God loves you because of what he did through, his, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through proving it, he demonstrates his love towards you. So this is how God's love is towards you and I. Now, when we use expressions like you've heard before, unconditional love of God, what we're typically alluding to is the fact that, you know what, I can't earn it, and I don't deserve it. That's true. I can't earn it, I, can't, I don't deserve it. But you actually can't find a verse in the Bible that uses the expression unconditional love of God. In other words, if you go on Bible Gateway, you do a search, you're not gonna find a verse that will do that. But you can find verses of Scripture that explain about the fact that God's love towards you is unmerited. Ephesians chapter two and verse four says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is what? A gift from God, not as a result of works that nobody can boast. The issue though, is how, or what we think it means for God to love us and then for us in turn to love God? Well, it is all about him. It is all about his grace. He loves you just the way that you are. Uh, He loves you no matter what your past was. He loves you. God is love. It's true. But then how do you define love? Does love mean that we just continue to do whatever since God loves us anyway? Does love mean that, You know, nothing really matters because, hey, in Jesus, we got you covered. You know what I'm saying? Well, if you look at the next verse after that section of uh, 4 through 9, we go to the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. Here's what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You see, the love of God reaches out to us by grace. That is, it is completely unmerited. However, the evidence that you have experienced and embraced God's love is one where you respond by following him in the good works that he prepared for you beforehand. It's evident by your response of following. His love comes to you with a conditional expectation that will change your life that you'll live for him and not for self, that you'll discover his plan, discover his purpose, and not selfishly just pursue your own lesser dream, that your life begins to live and serve a higher purpose and fulfill eternal expectations. The love of God isn't just that you might go to heaven, but the love of God is that God might work through you to bring heaven on earth and impact the world around you. This isn't just I'm saved by grace. I just do whatever I want now. I got my fire insurance policy after, after all. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to heaven and that's all that matters. I got my free gift of eternal life. No, this is God loves me. And that love demands a response from me, a response of following him. I think it would be more accurate to refer to God's love as being unmerited, but not unconditional. And here's why. Unmerited speaks to the fact that you didn't earn it. It is very clear. When we say that, it's the unmerited love of God. I didn't earn it, God gave it to me. Unconditional, though, can be misleading by implying we don't have to do anything in response to it. His unmerited love is meant to change the condition of your heart. You can't truly experience God's love without a heart change. The love of God results in a passion to follow him, to know him, you know, to understand, God, what is it that you want to do with my life? Uh, There's purpose in following Jesus. I want to live in the purposes of God. I want my life to count in eternity, not just here on earth. The love of God puts a hunger to know God and to know what those works are that he has prepared for you. The love of God is active. It is not passive. We don't don't serve the Lord in order to gain love. We serve because we've already been touched by his love. Now, I want to have a look at at the Trinity as we begin to kind of work this out a little bit more. And um, in case you're new to church, I'm not talking about something in the Matrix movie. Um, Trinity in the Bible is referring to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. John chapter five and verse 20 says this, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. So what does the Father do? The Father loves the Son. How does he show his his Son that he loves him? shows him everything that he's doing. John chapter 14 and verse 31, Jesus says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So the Father is showing the Son what he's doing, and the Son is doing what the Father is commanding him to do. How does the Son show his love for the Father? Simple, he obeys him. He follows the Father's direction in life. Not my will, but yours. This is the pattern set for our walk with the Lord as well. John chapter 15 and verse nine. Just as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Very clear explanation. First John 2.5, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And finally, John 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That word keep uh, refers to keeping them in view, watching over them, but you're not just watching over them and keeping them in view uh, for the sake of filling your head with biblical information. You're watching over them to be sure that you're living in them. You're, You're watching over them to be sure, this is how I'm doing life. That's why we talk about from time to time, remind you and emphasize the importance of a daily time with God where you're getting in the Word of God so that you can get the Word of God into your heart. Why? Because you've got to watch over the Word in order to walk in the Word. You can't just assume that everything that you're doing is like, well, I'm just living for Jesus. No, you've got to stay in God's Word in order to get it in your heart and to make sure it's being lived out in every circumstance of life. It means to continue to obey. Loving Jesus means you continue to obey. And the best way to do that, watch over his word, get it in your heart. We, we don't put a condition on that obedience either. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm gonna follow Jesus, but I, I've got a few things where it's a little bit difficult to follow Jesus, I'm sure he'll understand. No, there's no caveat. There's no exception. There's no, if you will, hall pass. You know how you got that in school? Hall pass, you go down the hall, nobody will give you any trouble because the teacher sent you to the principal's office to pick something up and bring it back or whatever the case may be. You got a hall pass, you're good good to go. Nobody's going to give you any, any, no, there's no hall pass. There's no exception. There's no but. Jesus, I love you, but I sleep with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Jesus, I love you, but I get high and I get drunk from time to time. Jesus, I love you, but I'm too busy to read the Bible and get your word in my heart. Jesus, I love you, but I rarely attend church. Jesus, I love you, but I only tip. I don't tithe, and offerings are out of the question. Jesus, I love you, but I still haven't forgiven that person in my life. Jesus, I love you, but I refuse to share my faith with others. Jesus, I love you, but I refuse to confess and confront my secret sinful habit. Jesus, I love you, but I gossip. Jesus, I love you, but I trash talk the church that I attend. Jesus, I love you, but I'm affirming the sexual confused world that is around me. Listen, if we are to live in his love, we have to address our butt. B-U-T, by the way. You got to deal with your butt. You got to get the butt out of your statement of your love for Jesus so that your following, with, following of him does not have a deviant part, a caveat, an exception, get the butt out, and just, Jesus, I love you. So what? I obey you. 1 John three eighteen. Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. The love of God is shown by our obedience. Are following him, not just confession alone. It's what you do with your commitment and what you continue to do. Not selectively, but intentionally keeping God's word in mind about all things in life. Now, why do people struggle to live in the love of God as shown by their obedience to God? I think partly because of not having a biblical view of love. Um, You know, Jesus's view of love is this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Instead, we view God's love as some kind of doting grandma who just wants to hug us and kiss us and give us whatever we wish. We view him as some kind of desperate boyfriend or desperate girlfriend who will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a backstory I want to give to something I want to explain as we go on. It's about Israel. Israel is going into the promised land with with, um, Joshua leading them. Um, They take part of the land, but then they come to the River Jordan. They've got to cross the river in order to get the rest of the land. And two of the tribes, Reuben and Gad, speak up and say, hey, you know what? This, This portion of land we just took is really perfect for us. We're happy with this. We'd like to stay here. And so Joshua uh, says to them, you know, that's great. We helped you get it, by the way. So what you need to do is you need to come across the Jordan with us, help us get the rest of the land. Then you're free to go back and, and live in this particular portion. But he's also very stern with them about the fact, very direct with them about the fact that they are not to compromise on this. And in Numbers 32 and verse 23, he says this, if you will not do so, in other words, if you won't cross that river with us and you won't be a part of fighting for the rest of the land, he says this, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. I think the the reason that he said that is our human tendency to think that we can have a compromise in some area and it not find us out that instead we can get away with it cuz we got away with it last time so we should be able to get away with it next time this 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 lie that works in our thinking we don't think that our disobedience is inconsequential and in our misunderstanding of god's love we can even think well i'm under grace so it doesn't matter it matters but it may not have found you out yet. Trust the scripture, it will find you out. And unfortunately, I know too many stories of that happening in people's lives, of it finding them out, of it having an effect on them, things they allowed into their world that completely changed the course of direction of their life over the decades. Used to be in church, used to be active in their faith, used to be in leadership, used to be in ministry, used to be married. What happens? Their sin found them out. Their compromises, their their rebellion, their, oh, this is okay. It's not really sin. Yeah, but it's leading you in a wrong direction. And now they're missing out. It doesn't start with something big. It just starts with a seed, something small, some little compromise, some... Little way of thinking and acting. And in our mind, we go, this doesn't really matter. This is just small. It's not that big a deal. A little bit of altering of commitments, uh, maybe a website that you go to from time to time, a little strife in relationships uh, that you don't address between husband and wife or kids or whatever it may be. a little missed time with God, a little withdrawal from fellowship, a heart starting to go after other things. But here's the thing with seeds. All seeds mature and grow up. All seeds seeds are what grow trees. The good news is this. Plant the right seeds, decades later, you're going to be happy about the fact that you planted those seeds. Come on. Like somebody said, when's the best time to plant a tree? Oh, about 40 years ago, actually. (laughs) If you're planting the right seeds... Here's the thing, you can look at that and go, well, this also seems inconsequential. I mean, I'm reading my Bible all the time, I'm in church, I'm tithing, I'm worshiping, I'm doing all these, I'm not really sure, what's the effect of this on my life? Talk to us 40 years from now. Talk to us when you're still married decades later. Talk to us when your kids are serving God. Come on, talk to us when you're living righteous still decades into the future because you keep planting the right seeds. Unfortunately, though, the wrong seeds can grow as well. We all know that because we own homes with weeds. In Jesus' name. Why do we buy into a lie that says it doesn't matter when the holiness of God says it absolutely matters? Holiness is why Adam and Eve had to leave the presence of God in the first place. Holiness is why sin separates us from the living God. Sin kills. His holiness is why we came under judgment and Jesus had to bear that judgment on the cross for our redemption. God is called holy over 400 times in the Bible. In John 17:11, Jesus refers to him as the holy Father. In Mark 124, the demons call Jesus the Holy One of God. The third person of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit. John in the book of Revelations gives us a snapshot of heaven and the Motley crew rock band that is leading worship for eternity with a song that is the original song that never ends. And here's the lyrics, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come and they sing it over and over and over. They could have sang whatever they felt was best fitting, but the best fitting word to describe the God that we serve is holy. They're not singing love, love, love. He loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Holy Spirit isn't referred to as the love spirit. Feel good spirit, woo, feel good, Holy Spirit. No, he's the Holy Spirit. Know that God loves you. But know this, it's a holy God who loves you. And when we lose sight of the holiness of God, we lose sight of our reverence for God. And when we lose sight of our reverence for God, it disempowers our capacity to overcome evil in our lives. In the Bible, reverence for God is spoken about with this expression, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. It, is, speaks, it speaks of an awe of God. This is, I think the closest thing to it is how you feel when you drive into the Rocky Mountains. It's just this, wow, wow. It speaks of this deep respect for who God is, the fear of the Lord. It's this reverence, and it's a combination that, that seems to be paradoxical, but it is this combination of both love and fear. That's what reverence is. I revere God because of his amazing love shown towards us. We look at the world around us, how beautiful it is and how much there is to take in. That's an expression of how much God loves us, that he would place us on such an amazing planet of creation. And then the other side of that, so we have a generous creator, but that generous creator is also the ultimate judge whose word is final. You know how you got all these judge shows on TV and they're all bickering. Oh, what do you think of that? Johnny Depp? Yeah, 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 all that crap. There ain't gonna be any of that with God. He'll just share his word and it's done. It's over. That's, that's who God is. His word is final. It's not, it's not a discussion. He is to be admired. We are to live with a concern that we would want to please God. Not, not a fear that we would fail at that, but a desire that says, God, I want to honor you. I reverence you. Psalms 128 verse one says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. How do you know you fear the Lord? Because you're walking in his ways. It's the evidence of fearing the Lord. Now, when I was a kid, little gaffer, my mom told me, don't touch the stove because it's hot. Yeah. So what did I do? I touched the stove and I burned myself. Now, why did that happen? I'll tell you why. Because I didn't have the fear of mom in my life. I did not reverence her as my parent and understand that her words meant something. If I had of, I would have taken her words to heart and never burned myself. I think there are plenty of people being burned by their lack of reverence for the Lord in their lives. For me personally, when I learned about the fear of the Lord as a a new believer, uh, you know, somebody just new to really passionately following Jesus, it empowered me to stop touching the stove of sin and embrace the Word of God out of a reverence for our Heavenly Father. Proverbs chapter two and verse one says, my son, if you'll receive my words and treasure my commands within you and make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek after a silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is evident by your relationship to the word of God. How you treat the word of God in your life is a demonstration and an evidence, if you will, of your reverence for God. Is it truth or just an opinion? Is it wisdom or is it a suggestion? Is it necessary or is it optional? Do you seek it out or are you just a casual inquirer? Is it a must-have or is it just, well, I appreciate it? Listen, Consider the descriptions and the promises of God for those who embrace the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord isn't like, oh, the fear of the Lord, oh, I'm trembling, oh, I feel awkward. No, 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 you gotta understand. When you live in the fear of the Lord, you can live in the blessing side of the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs lists out all kinds of blessings of what it does. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, you wanna make smart decisions? Have a reverence for God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, not to accommodate it, to hate it. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate, God says. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. In other words, when I know I'm walking in his word with my choices, I can walk in confidence. And his children will have refuge. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs 22, 4, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may, I love this, sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Isn't that beautiful? The fear of the Lord leads to life. God's unmerited love comes with the expectation of keeping his commandments. And as the scripture says, his commandments aren't burdensome. The fear of the Lord is motivation to never take his word lightly, but to reverently walk in that obedience and then live in the blessing of following him. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you for their heart to make a decision to be in your house today. Lord, sometimes we, we need to evaluate ourselves. We need to take a second look. Right now, as, as we stand before God, I My prayer for you is, in this moment, just ask God, God, is there an area of my life where I need to apply the fear of the Lord, where I need to show reverence in my choices, in my decisions, and in my actions? Holy Spirit, I thank you for making that evident, making that real to us, that we might change, that we might live in the blessing of the fear of the Lord. Lord, I thank you as we do that we get to have all of the promises of God around that. A long life, a blessed life, a life that can sleep at night, not worried, not fretful, but in peace. Jesus, I thank you for leading us According to your word, I thank you for lives being lived that are intentional about following your word. That, Lord, that's how we live in the love of God. That, Lord, it's not just some emotional thing that we experience, but, Lord, as we walk in fellowship and obedience with you, we get to live in that atmosphere of the love of God from day to day. In Jesus' name. Where the head's bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. I want to pray for, for people that maybe today really helped you shift some of your wrong theology, wrong thinking. Maybe you've been trying Christianity, thinking, oh, I just asked Jesus to forgive me, and, and that's all that's all this is about, and then I just go on with my life the way I've always lived my life. And today, you, you learned something. You learned that, no, no, if you, if you love him, You're to follow his commands. That that It's not inconsequential that we make a decision. Listen, the first word that came out of Peter's mouth after he preached the gospel was they said to him, what must we do? He said this, you need to repent. You need to change your direction in life. You you don't just go living the same old ways you've always lived and thinking that grace is, is God's like sticker that says, yeah, I'm I'm good to go. Here's my fire insurance. No, 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 no. God wants to change your life. He has a destiny for you. He has purposes for you. He has a plan for you. And your commitment to Christ is about a surrender to follow him. And if that surrender has never happened, now's your moment. This is your time. This is your prayer between you and God, both for those who are in this room and those who are watching online. This is your moment to finally say yes to Jesus in a way that lives out what it means to live in the love of God by choosing to follow his commandments, by choosing to surrender your life to Jesus as the Lord of your life. And so I wanna lead you in that prayer and others are gonna pray along with you as we pray together. But if that's you, open your heart up to God. Let's make a quality decision to follow Jesus right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life for me. Lord, that was your expression of your love for me. And Lord, I'm responding, showing my love for you by confessing you as my savior and the Lord of my life. I'm gonna follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me and leading me in the purpose you have for my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationemington.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemington.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.